Welcome. I'm Jessica Tejan, and this is the Evolving to Exceptional podcast, where we talk about reaching peak performance in our workplaces, homes, and communities so that we can live our best life possible, an exceptional life. I want to take a minute to welcome back our listeners to the Evolving to Exceptional podcast. I am Jessica Tejan, and I have another fantastic guest with us this week, Angela Lewis. She is the Executive Director of HR Operations Administration at the Simon Law Firm. She has a really interesting career, has done and been in a lot of really critical roles and gotten a lot of interesting background experiences, which she's going to tell us a little bit about some of those. So Angela, I want to welcome you to the podcast. And I want to give you a chance to tell us just a little bit about the kind of unique path you took through your past careers to ultimately end up in the the human resources and the people space. And then why it is you're so passionate about what you do, why it is you do what you do every day. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I started my career coming right out of college. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And someone said, hey, why don't you be a police officer? And I'm like, okay, let's go be a police officer. So that's where I started was as a police officer. And I did that for a number of years. At the same time, I was going back and getting my master's degree. And that led me, I I then totaled a police car, was out of work, like all the things. And I was like, that was my time to go ahead and exit when I came back. So I went into some retail management for a while. I did retail management for about five or six years after I got my master's degree. But I knew that I wanted to do human resources, people management, anything that was related to, to the people end of any employment. I applied to a law firm. I didn't get picked the first time, but I called back about 18 months later. And she goes, that, that person that we hired left, let, called me back in. So I ended up into a law firm because sometimes it's harder to get into law firms. And um, I was there for 12 something years. I've been at my current one for almost nine. So I've been in legal for the last 20 years is where I ultimately ended up. And in legal, I've had the opportunity not only to do the HR people management, but I've been, my roles are in smaller size firms where I do the financials, the operations, the marketing, the whatever needs to get done scenario. And it's all surrounding people because we're all supporting the, the attorneys at the end of the day. So that is what my role is. And no day is the same. So that's why I really enjoy what I'm doing. I've also started coaching the the lawyers and the CEOs or people of smaller businesses because that's where all some of the people management comes from is the top down. And sometimes those people, they've been put in positions sometimes and they don't know how to be in those positions. So sometimes they need a little bit more of those softer skills or working through problem solving this is what you should have said. This may be what you should have said. This is maybe how we're going to. So that's it in a nutshell as I as I go down that path of talking about who I am. I'm also a mother of four teenage boys. So that was in the process of all of my, actually, while I was at law firms, I've had four boys and still with the same husband after 22 years. I It's so interesting. You added on about your kids. I wrote up a bio yesterday and, for, and didn't include... Afterwards, I thought, oh, I forgot to mention that I have three three kids and how often we forget or that's like mm-hmm. an afterthought when we're talking about who we are or, or, or what we do, especially when we prioritize our, our career a lot. Uh, yeah. Help me with a little bit your the different sizes of the law firms you've been in. How big were they about? How many people were those law firms? 
So the defense side, I think at one point I was 75 to 80 people total, about 30 something attorneys on the defense side with my previous law firm. Right now I'm right at about 65-ish with 13 attorneys. So there's a lot of support staff for those 13 attorneys. So that kind of gives, just to give our audience a sense of the size of organization and the breadth then, because you talk about having to do a lot of, or wear a lot of different hats mm-hmm. of responsibilities that some of the support staff and, and yourself included end up having to wear in order to serve yeah. those arenas or in order to serve those spaces. Tell me what, I'm going I'm to ask you a two-part question. What do you like best about working in the law firms or with the attorneys in, in the law firm space? And what do you find to be the most challenging about working with with and in the law firms? I like I like the fact that it's the professional end of it, right? The education the, with that comes very intelligent. Not that anybody's in any other industry is not intelligent. That's not what I'm trying to say. It's just there's a different level that I found in law firms with expectations and what people can do to serve their clients. So I found I have found that I really enjoy being around the group of professionals and that's support staff as well too. The sports staff have to come hang and be able to do the same thing that the lawyers do, not same job role, but be able to keep up that pace. The two-part question, what do I dislike or what could I? What's most um, challenging about working with lawyers or in the law firms? I think there's a lot of entitlement in law firms that I have not found anywhere else. And I'm talking about from all levels of entitlement to my receptionist all the way up through the owner of the firm that surprised me coming into law firms because I've always been at like, as a police officer, that's not a thing, right? In retail, that's not a thing. And when I got to law firms, I'm like, where where am I at? Like, how is this, how is this okay? And both law firms are very similar. It's just, you have to learn to navigate that so it's fair, right? So then you have to go, okay, I hear you. I know what your expectation is, but how is this fair for the next person coming down? How is it fair for someone that's already sitting here? How do we make it fair? And no, you get whatever you ask for. And, and it, it's a fine line and it's a, it's a dance that I've learned to do. Some days it's not easy at all, if that makes sense, what I'm saying. Yeah. Tell, maybe you could tell us a little bit about how that entitlement manifests. How do, where do you see that? What do you see people doing or maybe where the conflict comes in with that attitude or that mentality? No, that's not my job. That is probably the the largest one that I hear sometimes. No, that's not my job. In our rule, because, and I find this more in the plaintiff's side than I do on the defense side, because in the defense side, there are client guidelines that you could bill for things, not bill for things. So there's people that have those billable hour hats. So it's more divided in this defense world. But on the plaintiff side, we don't have those billable guideline directives. So I've been called before at 7 a.m. in the morning and I need you to do X, Y, Z, which is a paralegal role. That paralegal was out for the day. I start the X, Y, Z and I pass it off to someone else that can complete the process. But I've been asked to do things to support the attorneys that technically are not my role, right? The support staff are asked to do things like, I'll have a paralegal, I need you to back up receptions today. It's not my job. Actually, it is because my reception is not sick. You're the only one here today during this time frame. This is what I need. But I don't get that so much anymore just because I'm not going to ask the same person to do it again. So I'm not going to go back to the same person next time. I'm going to find someone else. So that same person is not, even though they said it's not my job, everybody plays a role. Everybody's going to have a turn, if that makes sense. So I get a, a lot less. That's not my job. 
because they also see me stepping up. It doesn't matter what I'm asked to do, right? I've cleaned stuff out of the bathrooms before, not my job, right? But I had clients there. Who else? I don't want to ask someone else to do some messes. It's just some messes just need to be cleaned up by me. And and that's the way it works. So I'm curious as you've navigated that, and those are challenging mindsets. We've Lots of us probably have encountered those in workplaces and and with individuals who get into that like i'm I'm only doing what I'm you know responsible for, and yeah. what do you think is part of that or or either what do you think is part of the root cause of that or what is going on in the culture or environment that you've had to work on in order to address this address that you've talked a little bit about fairness, maybe you could talk to us a little bit about some of the things that you've done in this space to to promote that or to create that that different result? I think it comes to when people come from different law firms or grow up in, in certain law firms, the, the attorneys protect their staff, right? So some of that entitlement, I think, is bred that way because I can't touch that staff member for XYZ reason because this attorney, whatever. And I think I have broken down those barriers where it's not an, it's not an issue most days for me because I have really good communication with the attorneys. They're going to get what they need, but sometimes it might not look the way that they want it to look initially. I ultimately have the say over the staff. So even though that they work for the attorney specifically, I'm ultimately their manager or, or their directive day to day. Even though there's assignments, we have assignments, right? You have the same assignment every day. I'm not going to mess with that. But if I need to pull something for this, you can't tell me no, because I'm covering a hole over here because I'll do the same for you when it happens. So I think the barrier breakdown in terms of how I've solved that problem is having a really good communication, open communication with the attorneys so they know that I'm not trying to slight them in any way and that I'm just trying to uh, make the business and clients happy and keep it flowing. And when they need something in return, I will do the same for them. And I've shown that consistency where that's broken down those barriers. I think that's uh, such a great, such a great action step. And it really points to, as you talk about the experience that people have had at other law firms in the past coming in, Mm -hmm. I always like to bring in the neuroscience side. It really points to that those neural pathways, the way that people operate and exist, they carry with them from one Mm -hmm. workplace to the next. And so if they have existed in uh, that legal environment with those particular ways of operating, of we just do our jobs or we're very protective of our areas, the things you talked about, that those neural pathways are going to form. And even if a person wouldn't naturally be that way, they may have developed that way of being in the workplace setting because of those past experiences, because of what they, how they've existed. And I love that the way that you work to undo those, and the way I would put that is to rewire those neural pathways, is to create new experiences that show them a different result, that show them how to operate in a different way that is just as valuable in a safe environment. And I also found that as my role as HR, right, HR sometimes gets a bad name, right? HR is not for the employee. They're only for the employer. And so a lot of times I'll have employees now that have been with me for a while that understand that I'm trying to problem solve and and help and support the employees how they need to be supported, as well as be mindful of the employer. I'm a little bit more pro-employee than I am. Like, I will make sure that the employees are taken care of. But when people come in, they say, oh, go talk to Angela. I'm not talking to her. Why would I talk to her? It's going to cause problems for me. No, 
You don't understand. The more she knows, the more she can help solve the problem. And sometimes it takes people six months or a year or more to watch me work, to see how I interact, to be able to be comfortable to have come have a conversation with me. Sometimes I know things are going on so I can fix things behind the scenes or smooth things out or try to directly talk to people. But it's that trust factor I have to earn. I have to earn it with everybody. Like I have to. Yeah, I just heard Steph Barron spoke at, she was a former guest on the podcast and she spoke at the Sherm, St. Louis Sherm event last week. And she talked about that trust is between two people. And so that is how you establish trust is between in in that relationship. And then she was talking about psychological safety or that the environment Mm -hmm. is then how safe it is to show up. It's the culture, it's the community, it's how you exist in in that space. And so I think you hit on a really important factor, which is you've got to work with each individual person in order to create that trust. It doesn't just happen by default. And just like you're speaking of, they come in with preconceived or wiring that I, it takes a one on do. And sometimes I can't, sometimes it just doesn't happen. It just doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes those neural pathways are really deep and it is hard to create change. Although I, I guess I should say it's not hard so much as most people aren't equipped with how to do it. They aren't equipped with how to make the shift for themselves when they want to change something, when they want to show up or exist differently. So when you and I talked before, we talked a little bit about some of your most recent challenges. What are some of the things that you've really been dealing with the most over, let's say, the last year or so that have has really been a struggle for you in your role and working with the people in your workplace? I think post-COVID, I don't know that we're post-COVID anymore. It seems like it's flaring up again. But the mental health component Not that it surprised me, but it's more prominent in terms of my day-to-day interactions with people. There's a lot more care that I have to take now in terms of even day-to-day management of either certain people or groups of people, depending on what's going on. I have made more recommendations to the EAP and other options in terms of the help that I can't give. You can sit in my office for hours during the week, and I will do that a lot of times is to unpack some things in terms of the best avenue and getting help. But at some point, I have to have some external help in terms of the resources that people need to get well. So what are you seeing? Are you seeing an uptick in those challenges, those issues? And how is that maybe manifesting in the workplace? Like what's the impact that's having on your law firms, on your business? Anxiety seems to be one uh, like like the day to day, like in terms of the commonality, anxiety seems to be so heightened. Some things that may be out of the norm or a little bit more pressure on employees now unwinds people a lot quicker than what they used to. So being able and with that trust. So I've built a lot of trust with almost everybody at the firm. Some people I never will. So we'll just we'll operate how we operate. But when I know that I have a a working relationship with someone and the trust, we can sometimes unpack that to get them back on track that day. But sometimes it's more. Sometimes it's more than just a day. Sometimes it's, hey, I got to go. I'm going to go take a walk. Hey, I'm going to take the rest of the day. I can't do this today. And I'll hit it again tomorrow. Or yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe it's time I go talk to someone. Can you give me those phone numbers again? So it, it runs the spectrum, right? And I've seen some more extreme 
maybe I'm not going to mention that. I've seen some more extreme things that I've had to work with recently that in a workplace, I don't know that everybody's equipped to handle what that really looks like and what they can do for the people when it's happening in their offices and affecting a, a, a lot more than just one individual. I think it's, I think you're pointing out a lot there in terms of one, that there there is this sense that people, by and large, I'm not saying every person, but by and large, people are operating right at capacity or even mm-hmm. beyond capacity. Mm-hmm. And I recently spoke at the SHRM conference and I are at a uh, SHRM event. And I talked about that one of the challenges I had when I went through my burnout experience, when I went through my situation was that I didn't know what burnout looked like. So I didn't even know that it was burnout until a year later when I could finally go, oh, that's what happened. And I think people think that burnout, when we say burnout, it means somebody is imploding, completely non-functional. But burnout looks like a person that's going to work every day that is Mm -hmm. still functioning, that is still paying their bills and taking care of their family. And underneath it, they are negative and cynical and exhausted and overwhelmed. And they might be starting to feel like they're not really doing a good enough job, like that things aren't really fair, like the like things aren't working out the way that, that they would want them to. And they fall into this disengaged trap, but they still look like a functioning, yes. performing person. And so we often talk about mental health issues, but the issue is, from my perspective, it is mental health, but it's actually full physiological health because it is everything that's impacting that person. It's all those experiences. And one of the things we talk about is that we take our bodies with us everywhere and our bodies store that stress, whether we move through it or not. And so if we have stress at home, if we have stress at work, it's going with us wherever we go and mm-hmm. impacting everything we do. And at some point, it boils over into those much more serious situations where people are, where there's the potential that they might hurt themselves, they might hurt other people, they they might do self-damage either through substance abuse or or just through how they're not taking care of themselves. And all of those things compound together and are creating a really... A, a really tough situation for workplaces to operate, of course, but for individuals to operate within them as well. Yeah. Yeah. And yes, I agree with all of that. And so having the individual discussions, but what I've also started doing is bringing in lunch and learns, right? So an, ex, an outside speaker that would give people ideas on terms of how to decompress, what they can do differently than maybe going have three drinks after work. Maybe it looks differently because you start having different habits, right? if it's eating or it's how to, the meditation, people think that's, that doesn't work. It does absolutely works, right? To, to be able to clear your mind and maybe clear some of that stuff off of you that's sticking with you for the day. So I've started bringing exterior people, speakers in because sometimes they just don't want to hear me talk anymore. And if you hear someone else speak and maybe say the same thing that I might've said to them individually, something will stick, right? Because everybody has to choose to make change or to do things themselves. I can't say you need to do this. It's not going to work. I can suggest, I can put things in front of you that you may choose to do things, but ultimately it's your choice. So I've been doing a little bit more of that to try to maybe even get those that I are not speaking to me about some certain things to see if I can't get some more group effort and maybe helping them. And I didn't know that I helped them, if that makes sense too. 
Absolutely. Almost like we underestimate the benefit of even the small things that we can do in our lives to to make a difference. I just I met with someone yesterday for for a discovery call and on every discovery call that I do, I give this one piece of action, which is to start doing balanced breathing for two and a half minutes every day. So breathe in evenly, six counts in, six counts out for two and a half minutes. It'll reset your nervous system and I guarantee you feel better when you're done. And so even if that's the only thing you do different is that two and a half minutes on your drive home or two and a half minutes before you get out of bed in the morning, you breathe and do some balanced breathing. Even that really small thing can make a big difference and start to have you feel different and feel better. And I think sometimes people think it has to be this big, massive change and underestimate all those small little pieces and suggestions and how those can help. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So tell me, what are some of the things you think that either that the workplace is doing that is either contributing to or or having an impact? Are there are there things that you see in terms of workplace culture or workplaces in general that are creating this result or creating this outcome in in people? I don't. Yes. And I've seen things in my consulting role and just because I talk to other administrators in general, right? So it's a small group, but it's not a small group because we all know each other in some sort of of facet. But not, this is going to sound conceited, but I'm going to say it anyway. Not everybody operates like me, right? So I've created a culture where I'm at, where this is okay. When I walk into consulting places, sometimes my, my head explodes in terms of what's going on, what's accepted, what is being done from the top down or not being done from the top down in terms of support or not support. And there's huge turnover uh, and they're like, fix this. I need to fix you first and then we can go fix the rest of this stuff. And so I do find that there's a lot of, for a lot of things still going on that it's not okay. People still don't think that mental health is an issue or time off of work is an issue and they keep just piling and piling that they'll get to it. They'll do it. It's okay. And it's not okay. We need to step back for a hot minute and reevaluate how we treat our professionals, how we treat our employees. And that's every industry, actually, because I'm in some different industries, too. That's in every industry. It's not just in legal. Every no, industry. I, I would say these challenges are almost universal right now. And I, too, talk to dozens of HR leaders and, yeah. and people in different organizations. And the mental health challenge is truly systemic, that there is a, a systemic sense of of overwhelm. And I think that there are, in my observation, there's workplace factors at play. There are cultural factors at play mm-hmm. in terms of cost of living and inflation and just the stresses that come from that and people's sense of working so hard but still not getting ahead that wears down. And there's this fairness component that comes into play, which is highly associated with burnout when people see things as unfair. And, and then there's, and then there's just this built up stress. And I talk about it like that as we went through the pandemic, as we went through the the stresses we've had in recent years, we basically picked up boulders of stress. And unless we've moved through them, we're still carrying them around. We still have them. And moving through them is not getting a good night's sleep or having a drink and I feel better the next day. Moving through them means actually physically moving that stress out of your body. And and a lot of us don't move that much anymore. And that stress stays stays so- stored there. We haven't learned how to, to move through it. 
And that can that can cause a lot of the long term consequences, I think, that we're seeing in workplaces and like you said, all different types of industries. Is there anything in particular that you have observed or that you think would really make a big difference that you think is it could really bring value to organizations, whether it's yours or others that are struggling with this challenge to start to turn the tide or to start to take action and make a difference? It co- I think it comes back down to the human level, right? It's how we treat people in general. And I don't, and I, I, I don't want to put that on the employer. I think sometimes my employees treat people, it, other peers horribly, just because of, I think it's the trauma that they brought in with. It's how they acted in other places. And that was acceptable. I think it's really the human level that people just need to treat people how they want to be treated and take care in lo- truly learning the people's nuances. You don't have to be friends with everybody. It's just, it's not going to work. It's, I don't have to be friends with everybody, but I have to learn not to get upset if I hear someone talking too loud because that's one of my triggers because I don't want loud speaking in the hallway. Really, is that really what's going on? Tell me what, like, why can't we go, oh, she talks too loud. I I know that she's coming down the hall. Not a big deal. And you go back to work. Why is it an unwinding at that point? So I think people bring so much stuff in with them as well, too, that they don't know how to unpack and they don't know how to treat people fairly. I think it really comes down to us as individuals and not necessarily on the employer. I think we can help facilitate that. But I think it's really the humans and the people in general. I think it's so interesting that you said that because on a, at a fundamental level, you're, we are what we've been. We've, we are this, the accumulation of all of our experiences, our environments, our interactions, everything we've lived and done is what has made us who we are and how we show up and literally created our intelligence and how we are wired as, as humans. And we all show up with our own ways of being, our own ways of operating and our own set of triggers, our own set of responses. And those have huge impacts, like you talked about, in terms of relationships and productivity and how people interact. One of the things I wonder a lot is whether whether we really appreciate the impact all of that has on performance in the workplace and that as we ignore it or pretend it's not our problem, we don't we don't have to we don't have to offer services for that or we don't have to people should leave their personal life at home all those types of mentality how much that's really impacting your results because when we're carrying that all around when we're carrying those boulders around when we're in conflict with other people when we're dealing with internal frustration because somebody's talking too loud we're not being as effective or productive or performing at our best which also means we're less fulfilled in what we're doing because we don't feel good while we're doing it. So we feel worn out, run down, frustrated, triggered, all of the things. And then that just compounds the, the situation. And so it just keeps getting worse. Do you think leaders, owners, people that are in those positions appreciate just what an effect that human experience is really having on their workplace results? I don't know that people are aware. I don't know that and even if you make them aware or point things out, I don't think 
everybody gets it, if that makes sense. I don't think that whole philosophy or way of thinking about why people interact, you just tell them to stop it. No, you can't just tell them to stop it. We got to figure out why they keep interacting that way. Why do they keep fighting over something? What I see is silly, right? You may see is silly. They don't see it as silly. So why we have to figure that out. So I think even acknowledging sometimes that awareness is even there and and you're not going to make change because they don't understand it. They collectively don't understand it. And sometimes someone may even know that something they do is silly. Like I know that I'm I shouldn't be triggered by someone talking loud. I'm just going to keep using your example, right? Or whatever, whatever, insert whatever thing is. Yeah. But I can't seem to stop because I don't know how to change my pattern. I don't know how to change or get to that root issue. And I think that is where, at least in my experience, the power of neuroscience and neuroscience-based coaching can bring so much value and really help people. And I'm sure you've seen this in coaching people one-on-one, help people get to that root issue and make a shift rather than stay stuck in their same patterns of behavior. Yeah. I've asked some really hard questions when you're having one-on-ones with people specifically when you're coaching. You can have Sometimes I, I ask some really hard questions and it may be dealing with something way back as in childhood. How, how did this show up for you then? How did it show up when you were a teenager? What was your reaction of? How do you think you do that now? Even having, and they're like, why are we talking about this? I'm like, because it all is affecting you, how you're responding and acting right now in this particular, like you can unpack a lot of things, but in this particular situation, that's what I'm seeing that it could potentially come back all the way from here. And we have to unwind what's back here. And what you were feeling back there. Talking about the feels. Talking about the feels. (laughs) Absolutely. And coming, I'm an attorney, so I have the legal background, but I really worked in the engineering space and the manufacturing world. And neither of those are super touchy-feely spaces. They are, and, and in law school, certainly. So when you're talking about lawyers, the theme in law school is just keep going. You learn, and I think this is where I picked up a lot of my toxic traits, I would say, of working 18 hours straight, not moving because of the the study requirements, because of the competitiveness, because of the the expectations that are there. And so you learn this way of being that is actually really toxic to your body and your be- to, to, to how you live. And then those consequences catch up. You can do it for a while. You can do it for a decade or two, but eventually it's gonna, it's gonna catch up with you. So I'm curious a little bit to just ask you about some of your coaching clients or your consulting clients. And as you're working with those coaching clients, what are you seeing be some of the common themes, if there are any of things that people are struggling with, things that people are needing to address to make changes in order to be more effective leaders or in order to run their businesses or get the results that they want in terms of their performance? I just thought of when you said that, I just thought of a client that I recently am no longer engaged with because they had a laundry list of of things that they wanted me to come in and resolve and fix. And I kept coming back to the the same conclusion. And this has, this is a you fix. I can't fix this other stuff. I can't fix this other stuff first. Like it has to start with you. And having those conversations, and I'm pretty direct anyway, in general, and I do it in a kind way, but I, I'm very direct. I don't beat around the bush with things. I'm just, I'll go right in and we'll talk about it and we can either resolve it or we'll figure out something else. 
they didn't want to change ultimately. They wanted me to fix all of this other stuff that they thought was broken. Well, it was broken because their management style was really off and it wasn't consistent. And the way they spoke to people was quite frankly horrible because I ended up getting some of that too when they didn't like what I was, I'm like, okay, how are you speaking to me as an outside consultant? How do you speak to your staff? I'm quite sure that I'm not the only one feeling the way that you're speaking to me now. For me, I can go, eh, not mine, keep on moving. But the people that are working for you can't do that. So but change is hard, right? They want me to fix all the other things. And that's the biggest thing is they want me to fix. Sometimes my coaching clients are phenomenal. They're like, yeah, let's do this. Let's roll up the sleeves. What do I need to do? Yes, I will read that. Yes, let's talk about this. Let's unpack this. Here's a really big problem. What have you done in the past? Okay, let's look at different avenues. And we problem solve together. And they're like, I'm going to do that. And they'll move forward. So I've had end of the spectrum, some stuff in the middle, but I there are some willing to change and can unpack things and keep on moving. And things turn around dramatically. Sometimes I have to walk away from clients because the change factor is not there or the accountability factor is not there. And that's not something that I'm willing to keep beating my head against the wall with. Yeah, I think it's interesting how often those deep-rooted challenges, those deep-rooted issues or the things that people don't want to see in themselves are the root of multiple issues or multiple mm-hmm. challenges. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the reasons we do a lot. We talk a lot in, in our at Evolving to Exceptional in our organization around this self-awareness piece. And that that truly that is the foundation for solving and addressing most issues. And you can set and you can do set goals and I, goal setting's great and learning and developing's great and all of that's still important. But the reason those things don't work or don't happen or don't create the results that you want in your life is because there's something internally that isn't working correctly. There's something internally that is in conflict in terms of your multiple brains and how you show up and how you operate that is yeah. preventing you from making the progress that you want. And that and then it's sad when it manifests in that way where one person's one person's challenges then impact or have an effect outward on all the people that work for and with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which causes all of these other employees that if I would hire, I'd be getting some of those employees that were maybe potentially at that business and here we are. I'm undoing all the the things that they've been now ingrained with another manager that has managed them poorly. So it, it just it's a perpetual cycle that we're constantly dealing with as an employer, right? Or as people working with people. And as we move into the the future, as we keep progressing, the reality is that the people are the only factor because we are automating and using technology for everything that we possibly can. And so ultimately, the biggest lever that organizations have really is their people. And what's so interesting about that, I think, is that they leaders and organizations will spend so much time studying and understanding financial reports, strategic direction setting, how to mitigate risk and address potential risks and all of the all of those types of how their processes and systems work and yet most of them don't know how their own body works let alone 
how the human body is supposed to work. They don't yeah. understand really how does their brain interact with their body and how does that impact decisions and how does that impact their energy throughout the day and how much they're able to work and how good they are at what they're doing when they are working. And so we use measures like time, which of course attorneys are notorious for, right? Billable hours. So as if somehow time equated to results or outcomes, or we use other types of like how many widgets or how many things were you able to execute rather than really understanding what it takes to create true human performance. So what do you what do you see in terms of either your workplaces or the people you coach and the workplaces, the consulting workplaces that you've worked with as some of the things that you would most like to bring or most like to see them be doing or adding in terms of support that would bring them value right now? I think it's the owners not seeing people as widgets, right? You brought up the word widgets, right? Not seeing them as widgets and actually seeing them as people walking around with issues, just like they're walking around with issues and being compassionate, right? I'd like to see a little bit more compassion being brought in to the workplace. I think you'd be a little bit more productive actually as a whole if there was a lot more compassion because people are going, oh, they really did hear me. Yes, I'm going to work those extra two hours that you needed me to work at the end of the week because something came in at four o'clock and I was really supposed to leave at 4.15, but that's okay. I'll stay and do that because there's been compassion throughout this entire week and the support that they need to be able to do another day, to get up again, to be okay with themselves even. Like it comes back down to who they are themselves. I think that's so powerful. And I think when it comes to most individuals, and we always talk about that, we've got our head brain, we have our heart brain and our gut brain, our heart and our gut guts also have neural networks in them, just like our head brain, not as many, but they still have a lot of neural networks in them. And most, I think, leaders are really stuck in their head. They're disconnected from their heart and their gut brains. And, and certainly the heart brain is responsible for that emoting and that emotion of and feeling of compassion. Yep. And when our heart brain is operating at its best, when it's in its we call it the highest expression, but when it's really just operating at its best, working the way it's supposed to, it's in a state of compassion. That's the, that is the state that our heart is in. And we talk about our head brain when it's in its highest expression mm -hmm. is create creative and our gut brain is courageous. And when we look through a lens of creativity, compassion, and courage in terms of the decisions that we make, what we choose to do, how we work with other people, all of those things in our relationships, everything is much better. And it all starts and ends with that compassion. And the other thing I think that's really important about what you said and relating it back to the neuroscience side of things is that when we're in the same space as people, when we're operating and interacting with people, our state of being, how we're existing, what state we're showing up in is impacting everyone around us. So we yeah. are quite literally as humans, our hearts will sync up when we're close to one another. Mm -hmm. And in terms of their beat and our nervous systems will either regulate or mm -hmm. dysregulate in mm -hmm. response to the people that are around us. Yes. And so if our leaders are not in a compassionate, coherent, congruent state, then whatever state they are in, it's going to impact everybody. It's going to impact all their resources. 
And so I think you're just dead on in they have to figure out how to connect with that. And if they want to see their businesses get to the next level, that's really how to get there. That is really, and I'm guessing there's a lot of resistance to that because that requires looking inward. That requires, I got to do some work on me versus a new process or a new machine or a new strategy looking outward. That's a lot easier than having to look inward. So truly the most courageous leaders are going to be the ones that are willing to do that work that are willing to engage at that level. I would say that's a lot of exposure when you're you're asking someone to expose themselves, right? People are not comfortable. Some days I'm not comfortable. Sometimes I have to get myself there going, this is what this situation needs for it to have a good resolve. It it takes work. Just like you said, it's the training. It takes work. It's the learning and changing. I have the things, all the things that someone else has brought in too. I've just learned how to work through a lot of them. But there are some days that I went, oh, I haven't looked at that yet. I need to look at that to figure out how to work on that so I can help that person. It's just it's a cycle. It's a snowball rolling. Right. If we can get that going, I think that's going to be helpful for all. So tell us just a a little bit about the type of coaching that you do and in terms of who you help and and how and how you help them. How do you work with with different people? So if somebody has interest in reaching out to you, how can they get a hold of you and know if you might be a good fit for them? I most, I've been most enjoying the one-on-ones lately. I have done some where I come in and evaluate the business and, and, and mostly startups or smaller companies because it's about best practices. And because I have 20 years of running, running law firms, I know how to run a business and I know how to run a successful business. So sometimes it's just the nuts and bolts of what accounting software? How do I do this? How do I set up this process? So sometimes it's just nuts and bolts of that evaluation and, and people keep going and they're like, I got this. Sometimes, but I like that it goes back to the human factor, right? I like the one-on-one being able to connect, seeing how people think, seeing if we can initiate some change. I have one client right now that she quit her job to work on her business and it's more in the artsy creative. She's doing art. She has some other avenues that she's working on now and she is surviving, but the encouragement of taking the leap, it's setting, it's the goal things, but most of it's unpacking about why she was scared to do what she was going to do because she's talented. So it's having that support and that accountability. So I really enjoyed the one-on-ones that I get to do with people and that's CEOs or the small business owner or everything in between. So I've really enjoyed the one-on-ones. I I think that's so helpful. And I think you're right. When you start a business, there are so many little pieces that you have to figure out and put together. And I will also say, having been on my own starting of a business entrepreneurial journey for two years, that there is nothing like entrepreneurship to create or unearth challenges or issues within yourself. There's nothing like the loneliness, the fortitude that it takes, the determination, the vulnerability to take a to take a leap and build something on your own or create something on your own to unearth those challenges or those issues. Yeah. So I've had coaches throughout my journey so far, and I don't know how anyone can do it without a coach. And I think that those that aren't are missing out on some much needed support by having well, somebody who can help them work through things. And I say the same for me. I have people that I work with too consistently because I do think that you need, it is lonely at the top. You mentioned that it is lonely at the top when you're doing what you're doing. 
even in my role, because I don't have peers that are, are, I can talk to my owner, but he doesn't want to talk to me about some of this stuff, right? A lot of this stuff, quite frankly, I have to seek out to be able to unpack and to move and to be able to do what I do as well, too. So it's beneficial for me to also have a peer that can help me do the same. So I agree with that. Absolutely. So I want to ask one final question, then I'm going to give you a chance to share any final thoughts you have with our audience. And I always, I like to ask my HR leaders, what as an HR leader do you most need? What would bring you the greatest value in terms of your role or what you do? Like collectively as a whole? Like for you specifically? Oh, for me specifically. Yeah, as an HR uh, leader, what it, what is it that would bring you the most value? I think I found that yesterday. And and this is, I'm just going to tell a quick story. I was, I had a disconnect from my owner where I'm at cur- currently, right? We had been missing each other's. We had some really big personnel things that had come up this year. And I was missing him because he was either in trial, focused on something else. And he allows me the autonomy to run the firm as I do. But we were missing each other. So I felt that there was not a support on my end. There wasn't a connection. I thought some of the decisions I were making maybe were not the best and he didn't approve, but I didn't know this because I was having conversations. So it's about going in. So what I need the most is being supported. And so I went in yesterday and said, look, we have a disconnect. I need to get on the same page with you. I'm feeling this sort of way. And he assured me that's not what was going on. This is what was going on. And we had a really good conversation, right? And I felt really full in my heart. was like, I was really excited when I left the room because I'm like, okay, Some of these stories I'm even telling myself was not accurate. So what I need is for me personally, and as an HR role, is to know that I'm supported, right? And to know the decisions I am making are sound and they're for the good of all. So I need the support and the backing to know that what we're doing is helping. And that's what I need. I really love that you said that. And I want to just add on to that that I think that is truly what a lot of people need in their roles. And they just need to feel supported and like what they're doing matters and it's the right thing. And a lot of times Mm -hmm. when we think about giving feedback, we think about critical feedback or we think, gosh, people shouldn't need so much recognition or there's a lot of stigma around that. And I think what you just described is can be really helpful for leaders and managers to be aware that what people really need is the validation that they're on the right track, they're doing the mm-hmm. right things, and that you're supporting them. You're there. You're partnered with them. And I, I think that about a lot of roles, but definitely when it comes to HR, because HR is particularly lonely. It's not a whole, often it's not a whole department, especially in small organizations. No. And so having that support means so much and makes such a difference. And I think that was a learning lesson for me yesterday is to maybe go in a little sooner next time, right? That was a big, instead of, because I think that's when you lose people too. Like ultimately my, I would have lost a staff member because that staff member would not maybe have felt comfortable going and I'm going to have a really hard conversation with somebody. So for me yesterday was a lesson for me to go, okay, we can't, I can't hold on to this stuff as long as I had, even though he was busy, right? He'll make time for me. I just needed 30 seconds of his time and that's all it took, but. I think it was because of the big things this year. It was different than how we normally uh, move. So it was off for us in, in terms of our cadence because we've never gone through some of the changes that we went through like we did this year. So the cadence was off. It's back on now. So I got the support. 
I love it. I love it. And I think that's a great way to wrap up this episode. I want to give you a chance. Any final thoughts or insights or, or words of wisdom for our audience today? I just think we'll, we'll just follow. I think that's the same thing. You have to support the people that work for you in any capacity, right? I don't care what your title is. I don't care what my title is. I'm there to support. I'm there for who, whatever level and to bring compassion and kind of model that for everyone else. So I think a little bit more of that from others would be helpful as well, too, as we move through. Move through this life. So I think it's a beautiful way to, to end and a beautiful way to just think about that as leaders, whether that's HR leaders or in businesses or in our roles and leading the role, leading in our homes, because I always think of that as a critical leadership role we play too, is trying to show up in that compassionate state, mm -hmm. trying to understand the, the humans and how we operate as human beings so that we can show up in that compassionate, coherent state and get, and get the best results, get the best outcomes out of our relationships, out of our businesses, out of our interactions, out, out of ourselves that we possibly can. So as I wrap up this week's episode, as always, I just want to remind our audience to just always keep evolving, keep growing, keep looking at how you can rewire those neural pathways so you can have more exceptional experiences on your life journey as you move throughout your life and as you have those experiences, understanding how to show up in a way that creates all the results that you want. I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day and week, and we will be back again next week with another episode. Have a wonderful day.